Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind. Listeners know that we explore many realms of the human journey, and some of our podcasts, including some of my favorites, delve into wisdom traditions, sometimes ancient writings or teachings that arise from a variety of backgrounds, sources that help us to focus on truths that really matter. And a lot of this boils down to connecting to something bigger than ourselves, to see that we're all part of some mysterious river of meaning, that the whole is truly greater than the sum of its parts. When I can get calm and touch that inner place of quietude, it points me homeward. Thank you. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund and a special grant from the Henry Luce Foundation. When I first started, I, I think I had my neighbors and friends running away from me because I was assailing them with the stories of what I was seeing because people just didn't realize what, what was right around them. I mean, here I am living in an affluent suburb where people even said to me, you're new to this community. We don't have hungry people here. But we did then, and we do now. How one person's concern about hunger and savvy skills turned into a food bank feeding nearly a million people a year. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Classify this story under how one determined lady with a social conscience can change the world. It started in the early 1970s when Kathleen DiCera was living in a New Jersey suburb about 20 miles west of New York City. She heard from her sister, a nun who serves in medical missions, about the horrifying deaths from starvation of children in famine-stricken Bangladesh. When my sister relayed that story to me, my first instinct was send money that Christmas instead of uh, exchanging gifts, my husband and I made a donation. And then I sort of got involved with world hunger types of organizations. And just at some moment, I decided to look down and say, you know what? Where my feet are planted is part of this world. I ought to be looking to see who might be hungry here? I live in an affluent community. Where were you? Summit, New Jersey. Um, my husband owns his own business. So I was a suburban housewife. But I thought, I can do something. From that inspiration, Kathleen's efforts have developed into the Community Food Bank of New Jersey, a nationally recognized anti-hunger agency. In the most recent year, it distributed food to charities that provided it to over 900,000 people. On a drizzly morning, I took a tour of the food bank's vast repository in Hillside, New Jersey, about five miles south of Newark. This is the warehouse. How long does this warehouse go on? We are 285,000 square feet. To put it in uh, visual terms, almost, you, can, you can put almost seven football fields in this building. And what's uh, stored here? Wide variety of food, canned products, uh, fresh and frozen products, 
Uh, we move, I believe, just over 40 million pounds last year of food. 40 million pounds of food? Yes, and it's still not enough. And unfortunately, it's going to be like this for a while. The technical term for living with hunger is food insecurity, defined as uncertain availability of nutritionally adequate and safe foods. According to the USDA's latest numbers, over 50 million Americans live in food-insecure households, encompassing about 34 million adults, including the working poor, and 17 million children. When Kathleen DeCheris started to act locally in 1975, religious congregations were tuning in to the problem. The priests in our parish asked that um, we not eat meat twice a week during Lent uh, in solidarity with the hungry. And as I left church that morning, I stopped the priest and said, oh, I think solidarity would be nice, but how about I ask people to buy extra food with the money they save by not eating meat and bring it here? And I was so fortunate not to re talk to someone who said, we'll have 10 meetings about that. And he said... Um, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the, the observation of someone who's been involved in a lot of meetings. Yes. yes. So um, he said, who are you going to give it to? And I said, I, I don't know, but I know I can figure it out. And I had also been working with the Council of Churches at that time, with some groups in Newark that were responding to it. He said, sure, go ahead. And so I, I, I looked and thought about it, and I said, okay, I've got three tasks. I need containers to gather the food in. I need to put together some kind of little notice to go out to the congregation, say, next Sunday, <laughs> bring food. Um, and it wasn't Thanksgiving, which would make it unusual for people. Um, and then I had to figure out where I would give it. From a local vendor, Kathleen obtained large barrels, which she placed at the church entrance. She distributed her written announcement of the project to fellow congregants and reached out to anyone she could think of who might be able to connect her to people struggling with hunger. It was certainly a well-intentioned initiative, but she soon discovered that finding people who need food isn't as easy as it might seem. For one thing, many potential recipients are shy about asking. Then I gave my home phone number out to the local hospital, to the welfare department, and just spread the word. Um, if you know of anybody going hungry, tell them to call me. Hmm. And initially, no one without food called me, but people did call and say, I'm worried about this elderly woman on my street who I don't think is eating very much, or I know this family where the father's unemployed. There was an embarrassment on the part of people who were suffering from hunger to step forward, and I think that's still here today. Hi, I'm Al Roker. Let me tell you what's happening in your neck of the woods. Right now, one in six Americans don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are our neighbors, friends, our co-workers, but we can do something about it. Visit feedingamerica.org slash hunger and find the local food bank in your community. I'm Al Roker.
together. In the early days of Kathleen DiCera's outreach to people facing hunger, the manager of a local grocery store sought her out. He called me and said, I heard what you're doing, and there's this elderly woman who comes in here once a week, and all she buys each week is one package with three chicken wings in it. I'm worried about her. I said, okay, what day does she shop, about what time? And, you know, like many people, they're on a routine. So he told me, and I went to the grocery store, and he pointed her out to me. And when she was leaving, I accidentally bumped her. And as I apologized for that, I asked if I might give her a ride home. And as we rode home, I mentioned the, the fact that I saw she's got a, a little package of chicken wings. What was she going to do with that? And then she began to tell me that during the winter, her furnace broke, and she used every bit of her savings to pay to have it fixed. And she said, so now, every week, with these three chicken wings, I make chicken soup. And I eat it every day for the week. <laughs> you know? And I said, you know, I always wanted to be able to make chicken soup. <laughs> I said, if I came over and I have some vegetables and things, could you teach me how to make chicken soup? She was delighted. So I filled a big bag of groceries, <laughs> including carrots and, you know, other things, and had to spend some time. And together we made a really full chicken soup. And then I said, So, oh, she, so she taught you how yes. to make chicken soup. Yes, not that I memorized it after that. But I left a big bag of groceries there as I left. And then I would manage to stop by the next week and say, oh, you know, I tried that chicken soup and, and it really was helpful and and I'd leave off something else. And, and I had another senior I was working with who, I it took me three weeks of stopping by to see her, be, and she was in her 90s, before she would allow me to come into the house. And so I didn't show any food with me, but um, what, what she, on a very hot August day, she said, come in and have some of my homemade currant juice. So I said, okay. And I came in and I found, she lived very much like a recluse, things were piled up all over. And I sat at her kitchen table and she took out a glass that didn't look quite clean to me and I know her eyesight was kind of bad so I thought I can get over this. And she took out of the refrigerator a glass milk bottle that you hardly would see anymore, that obviously she had saved, with red juice in it and the worst big hairy mold growing on top of it <laughs> that I ever saw. And she scooped off the mold and poured the juice in my glass. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's, I've been trying three weeks to build this relationship. And uh, you know, <laughs> I swallowed the juice and it was catching in my throat. And uh, I went home and I put a note on my kitchen table. Um, Green and gray mold with black spots, just in case I'm not conscious when you come home. <laughs> but she loved to garden. 
uh, but she was getting frail. So I got uh, some kids to um, dig up her garden, and she planted uh, vegetables for me to take to children, and I would leave off a bag of groceries in exchange. At first, Kathleen DiCera operated her small food distribution effort from her suburban garage and out of her car. And it wasn't long before she started working with inner-city congregations in Newark. As the pathway to obtaining food in the suburbs and distributing it in the inner city started to take shape, she needed more of a support structure. Kathleen then requested space from the local diocese in exchange for volunteering to develop an emergency food pantry program in the area. So I I began doing that, and I started getting phone calls. Uh, Can you take a tractor-trailer load of food? And I didn't have a warehouse, but of course I said yes. Um, And I arranged for parking lots distributions. And, um, and that began to happen more. And then I thought I became aware of a group out in Phoenix, Arizona, that had a concept called food banking, where they could take in trailer loads of food and redistribute it. So I contacted them, went back to the diocese and said, I need some more space because I want to start something called a food bank. And when I do, then I have to separate and form a nonprofit. A food bank is uh, very different from uh, a food pantry, and people often get them confused. A food bank is a large warehousing operation. We do not distribute to individuals. We distribute to the charities that are serving them. Such as the pantries. Yes, the pantries, the soup kitchens, the shelters for the homeless, daycare centers, halfway houses, all of the places where people in need turn for help. Do you feel called to do this work? You know, that's that's hard for me to, to immediately respond to. I, I, I was thinking a little bit about it over the weekend. Um, I think I do what I do because I am who I am. And and so many things have, have pieces have have impacted that. Certainly the faith I was brought up in, the family I was brought up in. Um, I often think of people who maybe are less concerned about those in need and have to struggle to come to a point where I think I could care about the poor. I didn't have to struggle. It was easy. So I think I get a little too much credit for that because I don't remember a time in my life, even from the time I was very little, that I wasn't caring. I mean, it started out, I wanted to save little baby birds that dropped out of nests or, you know, to some other uh, thing like that. But caring just seems to be part of my DNA.
We're talking with Kathleen DiCera, founder and CEO of Community Food Bank of New Jersey. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information on the challenge of hunger and to obtain an audio download or CD of this program, visit humanmedia.org. The Community Food Bank serves a 200-mile-long stretch of New Jersey. At this warehouse in Hillside and another further south, the agency relies on some 35,000 volunteers and annual donations in the tens of millions of dollars. Food and funds come from individuals and corporations, including supermarkets, to get food out to nearly 1,500 distribution programs. In addition, the food bank employs about 200 people, including some who've emerged from drug rehab or from jail. It also operates a job training program called the Food Service Training Academy. Professional chefs offer free hands-on instruction in a state-of-the-art kitchen to low-income students seeking employment in the food industry. Chef Paul Kapner. And it starts with knife skills, and we work our way up to food safety. What we try to do is give the student um, a basic understanding of what it means to be in a culinary field, How it, that you can walk into almost any kitchen to be a cook or a prep cook. Uh, we're not, a, we're not uh, um, expecting people to come out of here as chefs or anything like that, just to get them started in the food business. Uh, when they leave us, there'll be over 500 hours of all hands-on cooking. From its inception, the food bank has sought not just to feed people in need, but also to address the conditions that trap individuals in poverty. At a time of high unemployment, that means providing people with skills that will allow them to find sustainable employment. Kevin Jones is a trainee at the Food Service Academy. The, the desire, that I, the passion that I have in my heart for cooking all came from uh, coming up in a in a poverty-stricken home, my mom put me in a in the kitchen at seven years old, cutting carrots, peeling potatoes, and she told me, "If you don't know how to cook, you, you won't eat." And and I took that and I ran with it. And so, what was it that you wanted to learn here that would enhance the skills you developed starting when you were a young child? Techniques. I wanted to learn high-end cooking, which they've already began teaching me. Certain, um, presentation, because flavor is my thing, but to make a plate pretty, that's what's going to really... People eat with their eyes before they eat with their stomach. <laughs> so, you know, they, they're teaching me what I need to know as far as that is concerned. For about one in five of the food service trainees, acquiring skills for employment offers a way out of past problems with drugs or with the law. My background, probably like the normal person my age, I've been in trouble and I'm tired of getting in trouble. And in order for me to better myself, I have to, I have to, uh, I need something under my belt. And, 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 I, and I can't, I'm not a basketball player. I'm not a rapper. I'm a cook. I'm a chef. And, and I just want the world to recognize me as such. My mom asked me, she was given two years to, to, to go and, and, meet, and meet the grand architect, I, I call him. 
Um, and she asked me to please go for my dream. So I'm here. And I'm going to go. I came here for a reason, and I'm going to get it. Well, I've also been in the kitchen since I was about seven years old. I'm a father of three. Rashi Simmons. I'm married. My wife, she's um, she's a sickly lady, and I basically do all the cooking at home. So I pretty much felt like that I can cook when I came to the school. Um, I never knew what a tilt skillet was until I came here. So cooking on a tilt skillet, I got a little pan at home that I cook in when I'm when I'm at home. But that tilt skillet is it work wonders. You can boil stuff in it, fry stuff in it, bake like it, it do many different things. And that was just an experience within itself. So. That's the difference from cooking at home and cooking in a big kitchen. Preparing people to flourish in the food industry is about more than kitchen technique. The Academy strives also to impart skills needed to find and maintain a job, like constructing a resume and being punctual. Michelle Downey, a native of Jamaica, works in a nursing home and is seeking to develop culinary proficiencies. Well, they're big here on teamwork. And a lot of people, don't, they may say, oh, how could that relate to life skills? But if you don't know how to work with your peers and team, there is no way you can even accomplish a goal of life skills. Uh, discipline is a big thing, which if you don't have discipline, we have to be here on time. It's expected for us to be in here time. We have rules that you have to have your hair nets on. I mean, all these little things may seem little, but it adds up to teaching you what you need to how responsible you need to be to achieve and accomplish that task for the day. Even home, like I find myself washing my hands a little bit more and telling my kids to do this or wipe this down from handling food at home. Just like what I, what I learned in school, I bring it home with me and it really tends to stick with you. So when you go on to the next step to working, it's like they beat it in your brain. This, this is the proper way of doing what you need to do. I think one of your roles has been as a myth buster. There, there are many stereotypes about who goes hungry uh, in a society as wealthy as the United States. And in your now decades of doing this work, what have been your observations about who the people are who need help? It's, it's changing. Community Food Bank founder Kathleen DiCera. I mean, when I first started, people we're dealing with situational hunger, uh, an illness, um, uh, a loss of a job, something catastrophic uh, in their Something life. maybe temporary? Yes, yes. And it was clearly an emergency. That's why they were called emergency pantries. And now, and th then there were soup kitchens in the major urban areas, they were rescue missions dealing with maybe an on-the-street alcohol uh, pop a population. And now there's soup kitchens in the suburbs in the country. Uh, they don't call them that. They have other nice names for them. But they are seeing families. Well, I, I think the region of the country with greatest growth in hunger is, in fact, the suburbs. Yes, it, it it is so so much of of the um, low income has been um, 
concentrated in, in densely populated urban areas, but it is the suburbs where it's taking two incomes to, to make uh, a mortgage payment or a rent. The recession has tumbled people into um, going without food. You know, people who never experienced before, people who were donors to programs like this are, are now struggling. For many of those facing hard economic times, the challenge is not just material deprivation. Anyone who has lost a job knows the blow it can deal to feelings of self-worth. And so part of Kathleen DeCher's mission is to increase awareness that being needy is basic to the human condition. The people who, even today, that are at pantries often cry in their line because they are so embarrassed. And so we have to accept that what they've given up in terms of their pride and their vulnerability is the gift that's being given, and we who help are the receivers. So we think of those terms about something physical, a birthday gift or uh, this container of food. But in in situations like uh, involving someone without basic needs, it takes courage on their part. It takes vulnerability. It gives up their pride. And those of us who are passing on something physical, we don't have to give up any of that. We, in fact, we could feel a little bit of pride about we're doing this nice thing, or uh, we don't feel vulnerable at all. We're feeling blessed, good about ourselves. Do you stop and realize that the gifts that you're given by those you help are priceless? They, there isn't something you can attach a value. So we need to be humble in, a, in our receiving those gifts. The gifts that are received by the giver of a charitable donation. Yeah. You've been doing this a very long time. What are the gifts that you receive? Oh, my goodness. I, I tell people often that I got, over the years, uh, I was in homes with people with no food. I held senior citizens in my arms and cried with them. Um, and, you know, it... it, it you know, imprinted on, on my, my heart, but just knowing that hurting, which is a gift. Knowing that hurting. The, all the hurting that, that's out there, that, that's a gift, but it's, it's a gift I would have run from. Um, if because there was, it was too painful? Yes, and I don't have that much courage <laughs> for things like that. But what I also got a chance to see is this incredible amount of goodness that's out there. The paradox of America is that amidst our land of plenty, a sizable population strains to make ends meet, a sector that has grown since the Great Recession began around 2008. For those who enjoy adequate food and shelter, the hard times of others can be a reminder that we are all susceptible to difficulties, sometimes one paycheck away from the food pantry, and that we are all interconnected. What I knew very soon is that there exists a spiritual hunger 
that is as real and alive as the physical hunger. And that was a hunger and is a hunger on the part of good people to help, but oftentimes they don't know how or where. And so I felt from the very beginning that that had to be part of my mission, that I was not going to only be responding to a physical hunger, but I would be responding to the spiritual hunger, the hunger of good people to help. And I would help them find how and where to help. Because that truly is such a basic human need to find some way to take of whatever we've been given, a lot or a little, and share that with others. I can't think of anything more primal than that. I I think you're absolutely right. It is is something so basic. Um, It's in different people at different levels, and I always feel perhaps what the food bank is doing is helping to expand and grow the understanding of of helping. Kathleen DiCera, founder and president of Community Food Bank of New Jersey. Listening to Humankind, I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliart Rose. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal and Lori Lawton. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Tony Buck. Our program is produced by Human Media in association with WGBH Boston and Connie Goldman Productions. Program development provided by Shart Media. You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org. This segment, Community Food Bank, is Humankind Program number 193. The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NPR One, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org. And at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.